Good morning. We are continuing our summer uh, sermon series this morning, walking through the book of Mark. And Todd, last week, uh, likened the, the book of Mark to a photo album. And every story of Jesus' life that is found in this album is a snapshot of who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so last week, Todd showed us four stories uh, of Jesus, including his baptism, his, his time of temptation, entering into Galilee and call, uh, calling of his first disciples. And, and this week, we're going to see another snapshot of Jesus and his work. What we're going to see is this. Uh, Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority in the universe. And our calling as Christians is to learn how to submit to that authority in every aspect of our lives. So our, our, our three-year-old, Lila, does this thing every morning uh, that w- we call smeagling, right? Uh, it's where she wakes up and she goes and she crouches like Smeagol, uh right by her door on her back haunches. Uh, it's a, incredible. She squats without her butt touching the ground. I don't know how she does it. And she sits there and she occasionally yells or bangs on the door until we wake up inevitably go and get her out of her room. And, and we typically try to do this so that she doesn't wake the baby up because uh, if we're not careful, she'll do that. And no one wants that. And there was this uh, thing that uh, I learned about, uh, this wild journey that I'm on called fatherhood, uh, where there's a sleep regression, right? So toddlers and kids stop sleeping as well at night. And, and Lila went through this phase where she would wake up in the middle of the night and she'd be super disoriented and think it was time to go downstairs and get her morning waffle, which is her pride and, uh, her pride and joy. So she would wake up and she would go smeagle and expect us to come get her out and take her downstairs at 3 a.m. Now, if you want to know what war looks like, it's trying to get a toddler to go back to sleep when they've woken up in the middle of the night and are ready to go downstairs. Now, Andrea, my wife, who is somehow both the iron fist of authority and the patient and compassionate grace-filled parent, both rolled into one person, typically will get, went in there and um, would get her to go back to bed somehow, some kind of um, magic or something. And that night, for some reason, LJ wasn't having it. She was demanding to go downstairs, and she started to rage quite a bit in her room. And I wasn't sleeping through this, and so I was watching the whole thing unfold on the monitor, and I felt my blood start to boil. And she was being destructive and disobedient and impertinent and disrespectful, all the things. So I had enough. I got out of bed. As I watched this on my monitor, I put it down. I got out of bed, and I flung the door open. That's what I did. I put my dad face on. I put my dad finger out, and in my dad voice, I said, Lila James Northrup, get back in your bed this instant. And she did it. I think it was the first time ever uh, that those three things, dad voice, dad finger, uh, and uh, what was the last thing I said? Oh, yeah, dad face, all at once. And I think I scared her a little bit. And I, uh, I flexed that dad authority in that moment, and, and I did it out of anger, right? It was not necessarily out of the best place. And, and she did submit to it, but I definitely could have been more gracious. But here's the truth, and here's what I want to get across to us this morning. Lila is the child, and we are her parents. She has to learn what it means for her to submit to us. And here's why. It's good for her to. Lila needs sleep. A a toddler starting her day at 3 a.m. is a recipe for disaster. Yes, for the parents, but for her. 
She would be miserable. She needs to get back into her bed for her own good and sleep for another for a few hours. Now, if only it worked like that every time. If only Lila submitted to Andrea and I every time we instructed her to do something, but we know that that's not the case. Authority, in general, is a difficult subject. We don't like having to submit to anything or anyone. Uh, and if you're like me, you might have issues with authority. But even if you don't consider yourself as someone that does, uh, I would argue that all of humanity struggles with authority. Here's why. The first sin, Adam eating the apple, was a failure to submit to authority. I like to refer to Genesis 3 not as humanity falling, but rather as humanity rebelling. When you use the terminology of falling, it makes it seem like it was passive. It was something that Adam passively did. He fell into sin. But what we know is that Adam actually willfully disobeyed God by eating of the fruit. He rebelled against God, and in doing so, um, he disobeyed God's authority, and thus sin entered the world. All of us, because of this, struggle with this idea. It's skewed. Our relationship with authority is skewed and broken. There's an election coming up. Uh, in November, and the way elections work in our country is that people vote for a person who becomes president or vice president or any of the tons of other elected offices in this country. And in voting for people, we grant authority to those that come into power. Elected officials have authority that is based on the will of the people. But the authority of Jesus Christ is not authority that we grant him. The authority of Jesus Christ is not a positional authority that we vote in our hearts into reality. The authority of Jesus Christ is not positional. The authority of Jesus Christ is ultimate. It is his by right of being the ruler and sustainer of the world. We don't make Jesus Savior and we don't make Jesus Lord. We don't ask him to be those things because he already is those things. And our calling is to acknowledge that this is who he is. And then live our lives flowing from that fact. So the question before us this morning is, do we submit rightly to that rule and that reign? And I think, um, as I was thinking about this in my own heart this week, why do I not do that with Jesus? And I think the reason I came to is, I don't know why I should. I mean, intellectually, I know why I should. But on a heart level... I don't always know. And today my hope is that we are going to, in part at least, answer that question. Not just intellectually, but emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And in our passage from Mark, our proverbial picture um, from the photo album of his interactions with others shows us why we should submit to his authority. So I'm going to read this passage from you if you want to turn to Mark 1. Um, it, it starts in verse 21. And, and watch as... I read it. Jesus is his interactions with these different people and the ways in which his authority plays out. So verse 21 says this, and they went to Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching for he is, he taught them as one with authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what? Have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding reign of Galilee, region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and, and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. And that evening at sundown they brought him uh, to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Will you pray with me? Father, as we come to this text, as we um, lay our lives and our hearts before you this morning, we pray that you remind us of your goodness, of of your grace and your truth, um, that you are the only right and perfect authority uh, above us. And so, Father, let us submit to you. And as we read this passage, make your truth and your heart and your grace known to us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in this passage, we see Jesus' authority on display. And we, we mentioned earlier that our thesis is that we are called to submit to that authority every day. But why? So today we're going to see two reasons. First, Jesus' authority drives out Satan's kingdom. And second, Jesus' authority declares God's kingdom. So it drives out Satan's kingdom and it declares God's kingdom. So first, it drives out Satan's kingdom. So the effects of, of Satan's kingdom of sin, death, demonic power, and darkness are seen throughout this story. As Jesus was teaching, it says there was a man with an unclean spirit. And they cried out to him, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And and this is a a fascinating theme because it it shows us that even the demons know and acknowledge who Jesus is. They they acknowledge that he's the Son of God, that he's the God-man, that his kingdom is coming. And what even the demon knows, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan are incompatible with one another. They are opposing forces. The proverbial town isn't big enough for the both of them. And Jesus rebukes him and says, Be silent, come out of him. And the spirit makes the man convulse and leaves his body. Jesus, the ultimate authority, doesn't need incantations. He doesn't need fancy tricks or words. And he doesn't need loud screaming or prayers. Jesus, who was there when the heaven and the earth were created, needs simply to speak seven words. Or really five in Greek. Silencing the demon and commanding him to come out. And he does. This is the ultimate sign of authority when even those that don't serve or obey your command, uh, don't serve you, still obey your commands. So Jesus is doing something for the man and something symbolic at the same time. He, He drives the demon out of the man, yes. But he's also signaling the end of demonic power and the beginning of the end of the kingdom of Satan. Satan's power is being broken because the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior of the world has come to redeem his people. The kingdom of God is drawing near and this kingdom is inextricably linked to Jesus Christ. They cannot be separated. 
The unclean spirit is the literal opposite of this kingdom. And it's the literal opposite of the Holy Spirit who is one with Jesus. And then we see Jesus with Peter's mother-in-law and sick in her house, unable to play the role of hostess, the role of honor in that society when someone enters her house because she was sick. And Jesus, because of his great love for Peter, goes to her, lays his hands on her, and heals her, restoring her to her position. And, and then news gets around, and that night Jesus heals and drives out demons from many in the town and, and lays hands on their sick and their needy and their broken, and, and he restores them and heals them using his power and authority to bring about his kingdom, even in, in their lives, and driving out Satan and his brokenness. Um, a month or so ago, I got a call from Andrea, and uh, there was a mouse in our house. And it was like a little baby mouse. And, you know, uh, there's a picture of it that you'll see. Um, I was shocked that Andrea thought it was cute because she typically hates stuff like that. Uh, But also I was shocked that she was able to catch it because mice were super squirrely and quick and will take off as soon as they're discovered. Um, And we did catch it and I came home and I put a little sheet under the bowl and we took it outside and you can see it outside too. Um, I'll be honest, uh... I just wanted to show you all that picture of the mouse because this illustration really doesn't have to do with mouse. But it made me think uh, that I'm so glad it was a cute little baby mice and not a rat because rats are gross, right? Rats and mice, though, have similar qualities in that they're skittish. And if you come around them, loud noises, whatever, they will run away. Rats love the dark. They love basements with the lights off. They love uninhabited spaces that they can walk around and chew stuff up and be creepy. But as soon as the lights get turned on, the rats get exposed. And what do they do? They shoot out. They hide. They go away. They're expelled. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. Sin lives in darkness and it is the light of Jesus Christ that drives the darkness away. Just like when you turn the lights on and the rats are driven out, so too does Jesus Christ drive the kingdom of Satan and sin and death away. And this is what we see in these stories. Jesus came to bring his kingdom. And in doing so, he he drove that kingdom of Satan out. But here's where it gets difficult for us, though. We struggle in the midst of these two kingdoms. We as Christians have been bought with a price and made new by the death and resurrection of Jesus... And we're participants in his kingdom. And yet our sinful nature and our flesh constantly pull us back to our sinful ways. And when we do that, we allow the kingdom of Satan to influence us. One thing we have to remember is that we are not a part of that kingdom any longer. Jesus Christ has driven it out of us when he called us his own. And we submit to his authority and no one else's because we know that he died and rose again so that we would be saved. Sinning, then, in a lot of ways, is a willful rejection of the greatest gift that Jesus ever gave us. But it's not just in our hearts. We see the authority of Satan's kingdom, his kingdom of death and destruction, all the time in the world. This is why the modern world is a complicated relationship with authority. And the the reason we struggle is because we have seen it abused so often. 
And any time authority is abused, it is the kingdom of Satan at work. We've seen the abuse of authority in our world so much that it becomes difficult to trust anyone in that position. But don't allow that abuse to cause you to miss this. In Jesus Christ, we find ultimate and right authority and rule. So whenever we see authority abused, it's not the way of Jesus Christ. And it's a perversion of his rule and reign. So when we see George Floyd with a knee in his neck, screaming that he can't breathe, and an officer of the law not relenting until he dies, we see the work of Satan's kingdom in an abuse of authority. When we see Christian Cooper, an avid birder, simply asking a woman to leash her dog in a park, and her response is to call 911 and act like he was attacking, attacking her, we see someone counting on an abuse of authority to achieve her racist ends. When we see Ahmad Arbery on a run, shot by two white men trying to take their perverse view of authority in their own hands, we see authority perverted and abused. These acts of racism, hate, and murder are all forms of abuse of power, and we should call them that. But even more, we need to name them for what they are. They're works of Satan and his kingdom. They are not the work of Christ. And as we weep for our black brothers and sisters who are exhausted by time after time, they've been subject to racism and murder for centuries. We can take hope that one day racism too will be driven out completely by the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And even more so, we can actively work to partner with Jesus right here and right now in driving it out. So what does this look like for us? How do we do this? We do it by committing to the establishment and right and just rule in the world. As God's people, we must acknowledge that the only way we will see right use of power and authority in the world is if we ascribe it to King Jesus first and then replicate it here on earth. We can partner with Jesus in modeling and establishing good and just authority both individually and systemically. This means that we must ask for more from those in power over us, that we demand for integrity, honesty, and faithfulness from our elected officials. It means that we hold those who have power and authority in our society accountable for their actions. It means that we demand and expect reform in different areas of abuse, like the prison system. It means that we speak to and against systemic racism and those who perpetuate and uphold it in our society. It means that we denounce all the work of Satan in his kingdom. And uphold Christ in his kingdom, the true authority here on earth. But it does mean that we must replicate Christ in his kingdom and his right rule in the areas that we hold authority. All of you, church, hold authority in different areas. Fathers and mothers, do you replicate Christ in his kingdom and how you parent your children? Business owners, do you replicate Christ in his kingdom and how you run your business and treat your employees? Teachers, do you teach your kids and replicate Christ in his kingdom? Restaurant workers, do you replicate Christ in his kingdom and how you treat your coworkers and customers? It goes on and on. We each have authority in some ways. And who are we embodying in those areas of authority? When we embody Christ... We actively partner with him in driving out Satan in his kingdom. Just like we saw Jesus do in these verses. And I, and I want you to hear this. The heart of this is love. 
The heart of God's kingdom is love. Any authority that is used at the expense of people and not for their good is authority that is divorced from love. Authority and love are inextricably linked when they are godly. Uh, Thabiti and Yahweh puts it this way. Authority and love are spouses. God has joined them together and they are never meant to be separated. Both are critical and neither are sufficient for life as God intended. So all those who occupy positions of authority are only legitimately doing so as they reflect the loving authority of God himself. This doesn't mean that loving authority never corrects, rebukes, or punishes. It most certainly does. Ask any parent. But it does mean that the proper motivation for even the corrective and punitive actions of godly authority is love and the desire to foster righteousness. This brings us to our second point. So we've seen that we must submit to the true ultimate authority in the world, Jesus Christ. And we do this because in doing so, Jesus and his authority drive out Satan and his kingdom. But now we're going to see that Jesus and his authority declares God's kingdom. So in our first point, um, I did kind of a broad overview of our text. We saw Jesus uh, driving out the, Satan and his power in different ways uh, by using the authority that is his by right. But uh, I want to dive deep on just a few things uh, that we could easily miss on first read. But point not just to Satan's kingdom being driven out, but, but God's kingdom being declared. Verses 21 and 22 say this. They went to Capernaum, and, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught as one with authority and not like the scribes. Now, for all we know about Jesus, it makes sense to us that his teaching was astonishing. We know he was an incredible teacher, but they did not know that yet. But here's what's interesting. We don't know what the content of his teaching was. Mark doesn't tell us. And he does it because in this instance, it doesn't matter. Actually, what what matters is the authority he taught with rather than the content itself. Authority in the Greek literally means out of the original stuff. So when Mark says that Jesus taught with authority, it means that he taught uh, was original and ultimate rather than derived from any other source. And we know this because when the, when the scribes and teachers of the law would, would talk about Scripture, they would always begin it with this, Thus saith the Lord. But every time you go to the Gospels, every time Jesus begins to teach, he almost always begins it by saying, But I say to you. Jesus' authority isn't derived from anywhere other than himself. God's kingdom is declared by the authority of the divine himself, or in other words, out of the original stuff. And this declaration is not, or is one of power, and power to change lives physically, spiritually, and socially. And there's nowhere in the entire Old Testament that a prophet or priest casts out an evil spirit. And yet Jesus does it here in a few simple words. And we established this earlier. He he doesn't chant. He doesn't call on a higher power. And the reason is he doesn't need to. He is the higher power. He only needs to call on himself. So what does 
a declaration of God's kingdom look like? It's the word of God paired with the power of God. In this story, the declared word of God and the power of God is seen through the restoration of each of these different snapshots. Jesus restored the man spiritually from the demon. He restored Peter's mom socially, who in being healed, she was able to be in her right place as running her household. And he physically restored all those in town who were sick and came to him for healing. God's kingdom looks a lot like this. When the spiritual and the physical and the social realms are all in perfect harmony, restored to how they were always meant to be. And Jesus Christ declares that that kingdom has come. But here's what's exciting for us. When we submit to God's uh, and Christ's good and perfect authority in our lives, we too declare that kingdom. When we fully and wholly uh, give ourselves every day to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, we partner with him in the declaration of his kingdom in the world. And we'll do it spiritually, and we'll do it physically, and we'll do it socially. And not only will we get to partner with him in that work, we get to experience his kingdom spiritually, physically, and socially as well. But here's where I worry about myself and all of us. I worry that we acknowledge the authority of Jesus, but we don't embrace the authority that he declares. Plainly put, I I think we often acknowledge Jesus enough to make us respectable people, but we don't devote ourselves so fully to him that it affects every area of our lives. We acknowledge that there's something special about him. We acknowledge him enough that we go to church or pray before we eat or go to bed or, or sometimes talk about him with our friends or go to youth group or, or community group. But do we devote ourselves to him in such a way that we would drop our nets, drop everything and follow him? The authority of Jesus in this world is something that was declared and not suggested. Do we live that way? If we did, and and when we do, because we do, we're changed. Fundamentally, every aspect of our lives are. Because even the demon acknowledged the authority of Jesus, but he would never embrace him. Jesus wasn't interested in that and cast him out. Jesus isn't interested in the acknowledgement of his moral authority, his superiority over other men, or, or even his good teaching. Jesus is interested in the full embracing of his lordship. And in that declaration of his kingdom, we are called to submit to. And that is where change takes place. That is where physical and social and spiritual restoration happens. Jesus is the ultimate authority. And we are called to live in light of that fact. So the question that I've found on my heart this morning so much is, do I live that way? And my hope is a question for you is, do you? Do you submit to him, mind, body, and spirit completely? And if you will, are you ready to experience his fullness? Because it's yours. Um, We've looked at two reasons why we must submit to the authority of Jesus. Um, The first is because he he drives out the kingdom of Satan. and, And the second is because he declares the kingdom of God, right? But the real reason, and maybe the underlying reason we submit to his authority, is because he let his authority go. Jesus Christ, fully God, became fully man. 
He lived a perfect life. He was at the creation of the entire universe and he decided to give it up. To sacrifice himself. Though no part or ounce of him deserved it. And he did it so that we could be saved. This is the king that we follow. The king who gave up his crown so that we don't have to be crushed by the weight of our own willful rebellion against him. He died our death. And in doing so, won our obedience and lordship forever when he rose again. Will you submit to that king, to his authority, to his rule and reign? Amen.